Um, I want to take a minute and just um, say thank you to all of the folks who have served this summer during sabbatical. Um, Josh and Devin and Bryce for leading worship. Um, Matt, Matt and Adrian as well. Um, all of our volunteers who are singing. Um, and Todd and Stacy for being here with us to serve communion all summer. Uh, make sure that you say thanks to them afterwards. It is, uh, serving, serving the body is fun, um, but it, it always is um, a time of giving and sacrifice and just give them some, some thanks and some encouragement um, as you uh, are talking today after the service. Um, I'm wrapping up the last of our General Assembly updates. It feels like it's right in the way. Um, it's not in the... Uh, am I still on? Or am I off? Still on? Can you hear me? No. I might have come unplugged. There's a lot of plugs up here. We'll keep testing it. We're still on. There we go. Hey, we're fiddling. We're fiddling with stuff. See, that's what I'm talking about. So it's always fun up here. Um, so our last General Assembly update, um, we, I was really excited to hear for, and we've prayed consistently for um, some of our mission partners in the Ukraine. Um, Doug and Masha Shepard, Anna uh, and Kirk Norris, um, and others. And in the forthcoming newsletter um, that gets sent out on Wednesdays, you'll see a link to a video that Mission to the World put together. Mission to the World is our uh, denominational foreign missions agency, right? And that's a, a ministry that we've been supporting for a long time. And so um, take a few minutes and look at that. It's really amazing um, how God has been using um, Christians and churches in the midst of Ukraine and everything that's going on over there. It's such an encouraging video. And one of my favorite things about General Assembly is the encouragement I get from seeing what God is doing in other places. Um, and this is a great example of that. So kind of wanted to end on a high note um, with that. So it's like five minutes. It's just, it's a great video. So take a look at that. If you're not on the email list or you don't get our text messages, um, you can talk to Ann, right? Yep, Ann, wave your hand. Um, you might have noticed there's some construction up north of here, and that will eventually work its way down here. So we will have some times where this main street out here is closed and we'll have to come in through Woodlawn. So that is coming, we just don't know when. So just keep an eye out for that. Um, but let's turn um, our hearts toward the scripture now, um, and let's pray. Father, we thank you again that we have uh, some moments to consider your word. We pray, Spirit, that you would speak, that you would do the work that you have promised to do and to take from the wisdom that is yours, that is good and pure and peaceable and praiseworthy, full of good fruits and gentleness, and that you would impart that to us by your own power, that you would implant it deep within our hearts 
Father, we pray that we would receive it with humility this morning because it is able to save our souls. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, there's a movie that came out many years ago. I can't, I can't say old movie anymore because it's all relative, right? Like, I don't know. It depends on who I'm talking to, whether you consider a movie to be old or not. It came out many years ago, um, starring Jim Carrey. And it is a, um, it's not a superhero movie. It's a, it's a movie in which he finds a wooden mask. And then he puts the mask on, and it's ironically named The Mask. Um, and uh, you may not have seen it. You may not have even heard of it. It's not, it was not a super popular movie. Um, it was just something that was kind of fun. And when he puts the mask on, he uh, gets, you know, superpowers in a sense, right? He can do all kinds of different things, and he's silly with it in his own Jim Carrey way, right? And toward the end of the movie, he's in a shootout with the bad guys, and uh, he pretends like he got shot. And so he, he grabs, you know, clutches his chest, and he's kind of staggering, and he walks over to the bad guy, and he flops down in his arms, and he's doing this dramatic death scene, right? And so he grabs him by the collar, and he looks up at him, and he's like, Hold me closer, Ed. It's getting dark, you know. Um, and he goes through and he rehearses these lines from classic endings of other movies, you know. Tell Antium to let Old Yeller out. And then he coughs, <coughs> you know, like a really dramatic cough. And then he says, tell Tiny Tim I won't be coming home this Christmas. You know, like just all of the thing, you know, the, all the little things that happen at the end of some of those famous movies, right? And then keeps going and... And it's just, just the funny, dramatic performance. But those things, all those little pieces that he recites there at the end, they're all these kind of conclu concluding moments, right, of different stories. And we all recognize them from that because when you're in the conclusion of something, you're kind of putting out um, those last things, the things that you want to get out of your mind to whoever you're talking to, whoever your audience is, at the last moments. And that's where we're at. And Thessalonians. So we've been looking at um, Paul's letter to the Thessalonians for the whole summer. If you haven't been with us before, um, where we have this week and next week, we'll wrap it up. And um, Paul here is in a rapid fire sequence of his last thoughts before he signs off on his letter. So he's got eight commands that he's going to give us. Um, and they're just the last things that he wants to tell them before he goes away. There's um, it's hard to kind of categorize them together um, because they're, they're kind of all over the place. It's just like, all right, I've said a lot of stuff to you guys, uh, friends, brothers, and sisters. I've said a lot of things. These are the last thoughts that I have. Um, and so we're going to look at those this morning, uh, and we'll look at them in two groups. Um, the first group is um, Paul's thoughts on how to cultivate the gospel in our heart. And that's in verses 16 to 18. How do we cultivate the gospel in our hearts? And then the second group we'll look at is his concluding commands on personal worship, or sorry, public worship and personal holiness. So we're going to have some concluding commands on uh, public worship and personal holiness in 19 through 22. So that's how we'll look at them this morning. There's a lot of different ways you could break them up, uh, but that's how we're going to tackle them this morning. So... Look with me again in verse 16 and 17 and 18, and we'll read these together. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, 
Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Um, this is the second time in the letter that Paul has said, this is the will of God for you. The first time was at the beginning of chapter 4, which we looked at several weeks ago, and we talked about uh, in that particular section, he says, this is God's will, your sanctification. And he was particularly talking about sexual holiness in that particular section, but he broadly meant God's will is for you to be conformed to the image of his son, right? To, to operate and to act in holiness. Um, and here, the emphasis is more um, on what's beneath those acts of holiness, right? How do we cultivate a heart that would lead to acts of holiness, right? How do we do that? What's the, what's the attitude? Todd talked last week about uh, Christian living in community, right? How do we do that? And, and we're kind of wrapping that up, and how do we think Christianly, even in our own hearts? What's the attitude uh, that Christians are to have? And when you first read these, at least when I first read these, especially um, as a young believer, things like pray without ceasing, you're like, what does that mean? Right? Like, how do you pray? How does one pray without ceasing? You ever wondered that? Like, does that mean that we should be sitting here all day in a prayer service? Is that what it means? Um, Augustine had the same question, so you're in good company if you've asked that question. And this is what he says. He says, it is not without meaning that the apostle said, pray without ceasing. Are we to be, you know, quote, without ceasing in bending the knee and prostrating the body and lifting up our hands? If that is what without ceasing means, then I do not believe it is possible. There is another kind of inward prayer, a prayer without ceasing, and that is the desire of the heart. And that's what these three, uh, these three little, this triad of commands is getting at, is the posture of a Christian's heart uh, throughout the day, right? Uh, we tend to think um, that worship is what we do on Sunday mornings. And that is true. We are worshiping right now. And this is what we call corporate public worship. But all of life is worship, right? Um, that's what we believe, that everything that we're doing is part of our life of worship. And so what Paul is getting at here is that no matter what's going on in your life, you are living a life in worship to God, and part of that is being in communion with God. Um, let me give you an example from my own life. I went to a meeting in Iowa, um, drove five hours there, five hours back for a meeting that I thought was going to be about one thing. And then we had preparation meetings and like, this is what you're going to talk about. And then I spent a while putting together the presentation for that meeting. And after about 10 minutes in the meeting, listening to my customer, um, talk about what was going on, realized that the meeting was going to go in a completely different direction. <laughs> right. Um, and in that moment, I you know, was thinking, all right, for the next two hours, I'm going to be talking about all these other different things, right? How, do you, how does one prepare for something like that? Take that and say, okay, it's not a meeting. It's something that happens in life. Think about where the Thessalonians are, right? Paul came in, started preaching. We learned all of this from Acts chapter 17, right? Started preaching, well, 16 and 17. He started preaching. 
Um, and this is the first city in which he's had real success with the gospel, right? He's been trying to do it. He, he, he's, he's had limited little pockets, but Thessalonians were, were, were starting to come to faith. And then uh, after only two or three months, right, he was uh, forced to leave because of persecution. And, and, and it was so bad that his brothers and his sisters who had become new Christians were losing businesses, losing friends, uh, losing family. He had to go all the way down to Athens, ended up in Corinth, right, which is a long distance away. It was so disruptive. How, how is it Paul's able to sit there and say, thanks be to God in that circumstance? Because like I had to pivot in that meeting, what we have to do is cultivate a heart that is uh, consumed with the gospel so that when things like that come up, we can think from a Christian perspective about what those things, uh, what's going on with that. We call that, that process, at least as I learned it in preaching, we called it internalization. It's the idea of making it part of who you are so that when things happen, you're able to, to analyze it and respond to it, right? And this is why it's so important. It's so important for it to practice. Actually, the writer, the writer of Hebrews would describe Christian maturity like this in Hebrews 5.14. He would say uh, that maturity is those who through constant practice have trained their powers of discernment to see good from evil. That's what he says. Those who through practice have trained themselves to discern good and evil. And we'll come back to that here in a second when we talk about holding fast to the good and abstaining from the evil. But you understand what I'm saying, right? Things are going to come up, have come up even this summer, right, that are going to challenge what we know. We can't possibly anticipate what's going to come up. But God's will for us in those is to be so infused with the gospel that we're able to constantly evaluate those things and hold on to what is good and abstain from what is evil in terms of our response to them. To live out the Christian life because we're so, uh, so grounded in the anchor of the soul that reaches into the heavens, right? Where Jesus has gone as a forerunner for us. That's the point. That's what he's getting at. That's the power behind Paul's being able to rejoice always, to say, I rejoice that I was shipwrecked. I give thanks that I was counted worthy to be put into prison on behalf of the gospel, right? Uh, all those things. How did, what's the power behind that? The power is remembering what Christ Jesus has done for us. So that's the first part, cultivating the heart uh, with the gospel, cultivating our hearts with the gospel. But he goes on from there uh, in verses 19, and we'll read the first part of 21. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Um, just a reminder that, uh, you know, the, the chapter verses, the chapters and verses and, and punctuation, stuff like that, right? It's, it's not, not part of the original text. It's, we do kind of our best job and commentators break this section up. Even your Bibles might look at this section differently. You know, the, we use the English Standard Version in here, uh, but the NIV has it in a separate paragraph. And it's hard when you've got like, some of these sentences are like two words. And so like, how do I put this together? And um, I look at uh, these parts as this is what Paul is doing in addressing 
um, corporate worship. There's a lot of parallels between what he's doing right here um, in 1 Corinthians 14, um, where he's addressing some uh, similar stuff. Remember, he's writing this letter from Corinth. That's where he's at right now. And um, I think Paul is getting at something here that he's kind of like um, when you've probably heard me say this sometimes, um, whether it's in a personal conversation or even from a front here where I'll say something like, don't hear what I'm not saying. It's like this little, like, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a caveat, right? And if you think about what Paul has been telling them, Paul's been tell, telling the Thessalonians, um, they've had, they sent questions back, right, via Timothy. Uh, and Paul has been answering those questions in chapters four and five. And we know that because Paul was forced out early, that there was a vacuum of teaching and that some false teachers had arisen. In fact, if you go and look at 2 Thessalonians 1, Paul says that there were even people who faked letters from him, wrote letters in his name to the Thessalonians that he didn't write. And so we know that there was a problem with uh, teaching, and it seems what Paul seems to be saying here with regards to public worship is don't despise prophecy inside of public worship. Don't stifle the spirit. In other words, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. You'll be tempted to just say, let's not have any part of the prophetic acts inside of our services because you've, you've had some wrong teaching that I've had to correct you about. But don't do that. Now, we don't have time uh, in our service here. I'd love to talk to you about it afterwards, about all of what prophecy is about in the Bible. Uh, but let me just say a couple of words in terms of what the function of what prophets did um, and how this would play out in, in, a, in a service and how it applies to us today. So most of us, when we think about prophecy, we think about the act of talking about the future, right? Um, predicting something that will happen. We would call that foretelling, F-O-R-E, telling, foretelling, right? And true, some prophets did do that, but that was certainly not the majority function of what they were doing. The majority of what the role of the prophet did was what you could call forth-telling, F-O-R-T-H, forth-telling. That is, calling God's people to faithfulness according to his revealed will. This is what Moses did. This is what Elijah did. This is what all the prophets did, right? When you look through these vast swaths of Isaiah and Jeremiah, right? What are they doing? They're just saying, repent, come back, come back to me. In fact, a lot of what Jesus did in his role as a prophet was to call people to repentance, right? That's the main function of, of what prophecy does. And it was part of the early church. You know, they had the Old Testament, but there was a lot of revelation still being given in the New Testament. Today, you know, we believe that this is the fullness of what God has given us for his word. But the church still continues in the functions of prophecy when um, the leaders whom you've selected, voted on, authorized, etc., right, as part of our polity, are teaching you about what the word of God means. So for us today, the, the point of saying, do not quench the spirit, um, do not despise prophecies is to say, when we come across a passage in scripture that we don't like, or that doesn't seem to fit with our particular worldview, that we don't say, well, I'm just not gonna adopt that. 
but we submit to it and we and we consider it and we don't stifle the work of the spirit because it's what god has given us right so we don't have prophets in the sense of which they had in the early church or in the old testament what we do have today is leaders who are calling us and interpreting god's word for us and proclaiming this is what the word says doesn't mean that we're without error in fact that's why paul says don't despise it but test everything right go back to the scriptures and read it for yourself and open yourself up to the work of the spirit to understand what's being said right um if you hear anything from any of us right where you say dan i just i don't i i'm not really sure that's word means what you think it means right or <laughs> you know something like that come talk to us about it that's the whole point right we all need each other that's part of living in this christian community together so um that's his words on corporate public worship so and then he kind of rounds it out in verse uh 22 end of 21 with 22 uh where he says Hold fast to what is good and abstain from every form of evil. Um, there, there, again, scholars are kind of split on this. Is he talking specifically about prophecy there? Is he talking about it? I take it as a, uh, this is his last statement, right? This is his last breath, you know, holding on to the coat. You know, uh, this is what he wants to get across after the whole section of chapters four and five, right? In, in line with, this is God's will, your sanctification. This is God's will. Hold fast to the good and abstain from every form of evil. In fact, Paul says it um, in a similar way in 1 Corinthians 14. I told you there's a lot of parallels there. He says, uh, be infants with regard to evil, but be mature in your thinking. Something very similar there. Um, but there, there's a really... Uh, it's a really subtle difference in the way that he says this um, that I wanted to pick up on when he says, hold fast to the good, but abstain from every form of evil. One commentator says it like this. He says, the good is one, but the evil is many. And it is interesting that he says, hold fast to the good but abstain from every form, every kind of evil. Um, that there's so many different ways, uh, different situations where our responses could come tainted by sin, by brokenness, by our flesh, right? And again, go back to what I was saying earlier. This is why it's so important for us to have hearts that are permeated by the gospel because things are going to come up in, in seminary, we talked in our bioethics class, and I've been working with our presbytery on a study paper on social media. And I work in technology, as many of you know. And one of the things that we'll, we'll say often is we have no idea what it's going to look like. The pace of change today versus what it's going to be in 10 years versus what it's going to be in 20 years. We said there's no way to anticipate like all of these things that are going to happen. How do we prepare ourselves for that? Go back to what we were saying before. Having hearts so permeated by the gospel that through constant practice, we are able to learn and discern what is good and what is evil. 
right? That's, that's what Paul is asking them. Keep practicing, keep pressing on, moving forward in your personal holiness. So those are his concluding commands. Um, how do we do it? How do we walk through it? Um, you know, it's, it's hard to wrap up all of this stuff into one thing. So I just want to kind of give you a, a glimpse. One thing that I do, I do a couple of different things, a couple of things that I do um, that maybe could help you in, in doing this. So one of the things I've tried to do in terms of cultivating thankfulness is when I pray, especially with my kids, um, when we pray at night, um, you might have even heard it this morning. I think I did it unintentionally this morning. Um, when I prayed earlier, but I almost always start my prayer off with Thanksgiving. Um, and when I'm praying with my kids, I usually say, thank, you know, whether I'm saying, you know, dear Jesus or gracious father or whatever I'm saying. And I say, thank you for today. And something terrible could have happened that day. Right. Um, or it could have been a day where, where, um, you know, our kids didn't have a good day or I didn't have a good day or April didn't have a good day. And yet, still trying to, lap, uh, to latch on to the idea of rejoicing always, uh, to latch on to give thanks in all circumstances by doing that. Whatever's happened, to say, thank you, God, that you have redeemed me with your blood. Thank you, God, that you have reconciled us to yourself. Thank you, God, that you have justified us by faith. Thank you, God, that you have pulled us out from destruction, right? Cultivating that heart together um, and internalizing it. That's just one way that I try and do it. Um, another way that I've tried to do over the years is to, um, is to cultivate a heart of prayer at work, right? And most of us work outside the church. But to think about that, like, I, like to pray before we go in these so that meeting I had in Iowa, I was praying on the way over there for different things. And, and, and when things started to go sideways, I you know, said a little prayer too, um, because it was going sideways. Um, but you know, just, again, cultivating that attitude that all of life is worship, right? That what you're doing existentially matters, right? Because God has called you to it that you're living in it, and we're moving toward that way, that kind of the idea of every moment holy, right? Or the Liturgy of the Ordinary, a couple of books that you, maybe you've read or practiced, right? That's what Paul's talking about here. That's what he's trying to get the Thessalonians to do, to understand that everything we're doing is a life lived in service to God. So let's live it. And as we think about that, and uh, as we prepare to do our responsive reading and you think about what God has called us to, that's what he's saying. To live lives worthy of the calling that you have been called in Christ Jesus. Hold fast to what is good and abstain from every form of evil. Let's pray. Father, thank you for these brief moments again to look at your word. Thank you for Jesus Christ, our life, in whom we live and move and exist. Thank you, Spirit, for being with us wherever we go. 
that whether we are awake or we are asleep, we are with you, that we live unto you. Jesus, would you teach our hearts by your power more and more each day to hold fast to the good and to be infants with regard to our practice of evil. We do pray in Jesus' name. Amen.